Hey, welcome to the sixth episode of No Persinium, the podcast about immersive and interactive entertainment, uh, usually in the, the live form. I'm usually your host, Noah Nelson. I say usually because we've got a couple of special episodes coming up here. In this one, Jennifer Chang, who's been our guest for the past two episodes, uh, turns the tables on me and becomes the interviewer while I'm the interviewee. So this uh, kind of acts as a a temporal piece uh, that can be listened to at any time. It's been a few weeks since we had this conversation. It was great. It was the first time Jennifer and I talked. Um, I don't really remember what we said. <laughs> so this will be an adventure for uh, both of us. Although to be true, I, I may not listen to the episode because hearing myself talk uh, can sometimes drive me insane. Um, hey, uh, the next episode, Zay Amsbury, our New York curator uh, steps in to interview the director of the show together we are making a poem in honor of life um, I haven't had a chance to listen to the audio to that yet uh, but we're going to be running that early next week uh, Zay recorded it kind of out in the field so uh, there there might be you know some sort of sound issues in it so uh, we're going to discover that together um, just a couple of quick notes about what's going on right now and uh, a program note. We will have an episode next week. The week after, we might have to take a bye week because I'm going to spend a lot of time at E3, the Electronic Entertainment Expo, and I'm going to be running around checking out the new VR experiences. Um, I think I get into a little bit of this uh, in this conversation that Jennifer and I had. Um, I see so much crossover between the disciplines needed, the craft needed uh, to create compelling virtual immersive experiences with the craft needed to create compelling live immersive experiences that I just see huge opportunity here for everyone who's working in the live performance, in theater, in uh, themed entertainment to make a big impact. And the evidence of which companies are jumping in and how people are talking about this stuff uh, really says to me that people are seeing the same thing. Uh, just this week, that Landmark Entertainment Group, who um, they're, they're one of the people who do a lot of theme parks, do a lot of theme parks in China, uh, did themed entertainment in Vegas for a long time, uh, did like, you know, the Terminator 2 ride at Universal. Uh, they just announced that they're doing a VR center in China. Uh, Industrial Light Magic, yeah, those guys, they're announcing that they're doing their own immersive lab, um, creating, you know, virtual properties based off Star Wars and Jurassic Park. And the guy who did the special effects for The Matrix, uh, he's leading that charge. There is a space here for indie creators, for theater people, to make an impact in this brand new medium. And the, the crossover point, the point where those Venn diagrams merge, it's right here. It's in the world of shows that have no proscenium, which is why we call this what we call it. Uh, okay, you're going to get a whole lot more of that in a second here. Uh, so is Jennifer Chang. And uh, we'll be back uh, with more me. Oh, this is embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> after you listen to me. Oh, man. Okay, here we go. All right, bonus round. So right. tables are turned. Okay. What do you? What do you? I, I, no, tell me about no proscenium. What is this? What is 
this special passion that you have for site-specific immersive theater? Oh, what are the origins? Oh, gosh. Well, there's there's the immediate origins, and then there's, like, the long-term origins. Mm-hmm. So the immediate origin, and there's even two phases of immediate origin. So in early 2013, I was getting interested again in... Um, what what the what things that were different in theater and this sort of confluence of things happened where uh, I was I was back being interested in theme parks as a form of entertainment as themed you know physical spaces being you know crafted for narrative I was uh, in my day job as a reporter I was digging into the transmedia world I was getting interested in alternate reality games uh, which are these. Uh, sometimes very elaborate fictions that use the real world as their mm-hmm. setting. The, there's a famous one in San Francisco that was in San Francisco called uh, the Jejun Institute or the Games of Nonchalance. It involved a, a, a specially designed room in a skyscraper in San Francisco that you visited that looked like a Scientology-like cult. And then you went on a scavenger hunt through San Francisco or through Chinatown. And then it, it culminated in like opening up these these pathways into these different um, uh, stages of the story that might involve like pirate radio stations or actors running around the Chapel of the Chimes in Oakland, which is like this famous mausoleum there that's absolutely gorgeous where everything's designed to look like it's a library of the dead. Um, Like the urns look like books. Like Mm -hmm. it's really incredible and beautiful. Um, which reminds me, I never asked about like if you've ever uh, thought about doing a, a piece in the cemetery at Hollywood Forever. But we'll save that for next time. Um, and I'm realizing all these things that I forgot to mention. <laughs> no, sorry. Oh, it's the bonus episode, so maybe we'll, we'll get into that as well. This is the great thing about bonus. Uh, we'll, we'll get an extra one on this. Uh, so um, all these things were of interest to me. Um, and I started a little, you know, with the Transmedia Kids, I started a little dinner party. And we got together and we, we would talk about Sleep No More. Once we became aware of Then She Fell, we would talk about Then She Fell. One of the producers of that alternate reality game who had gone on to be a Imagineer at Disney mm-hmm. was part of that dinner party. Mm-hmm. And we started talking about, like, well, maybe we should do something, right? You get a bunch of creative kids around, and by kids I mean people from like their 20s and their 40s. You get a bunch of creative kids around a dinner table and they instantly start to talk about art and they instantly start trying to figure out how they can make art and it sort of almost derailed us because everyone was really busy. So then I went at the end of 2013 on pilgrimage to New York to go see Sleep No More and Then She Fell. Mm -hmm. And I saw Then She Fell because uh, Joss Whedon had tweeted about it. Um, Sleep No More is, of course, Sleep No More. It doesn't need an explanation. Then She Fell might. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's an Alice in Wonderland-based yeah, piece. Yeah, I remember reading about that. Yeah. Uh, and if Sleep No More is a sandbox experience where they just kind of drop you in and like make it up as you go, uh, Then She Fell's what I call a clockwork piece mm-hmm. because it's a guided experience, right. but everyone gets a different guided tour right. of various scenes that repeat. So the actors are on little cycles and the perform- and the, the audience members are on this larger cycle. But it, if I went in and you went in on the same night, we could have totally. dimatically different, mm-hmm. right? It'd be completely different. Like I didn't see Al- Alice or any of the Alice's. There are two Alice's in that show. I didn't see any of them until about, it felt like an hour in. Mm. And when I saw her, she was just the glimpse of a girl running down a hallway. And I was like, oh, who's that? What? Oh, I'm supposed to go over here. 
and that just lit my brain up on fire. It's like mystery. When am I going to see Alice? And it wasn't like dejected, like brr. It was like she's here. She's running around, and that feeling of like Alice in Wonderland, where like oh someone's running. Where's the white rabbit? Oh no, right. rabbit, don't go away. Like you, but you're gone now. I'm lost. Right. That's Alice in Wonderland. I just had that experience. So so I come back from New York on fire, <laughs> and. And I promptly miss Invisible Cities, which is Yuval Sharon's uh, opera at Union Station, because no one told me about it until it was too late to get a ticket. Right. And I said, never again. There must be someone out there who's collecting this kind of stuff that's happened here in town, because I know that I knew that Chalk Rep existed. So I was like, well, someone's going to be tracking when Chalk Rep's doing stuff, and someone's got to be tracking when you, this guy Yuval's doing stuff, and, and there must be some crazy kids doing other things here and someone's tracking it and no one was tracking it. So I was like, all right. So Christmas 2013, I sit on hover.com and I plug in different names into the .com setup. And it turns out that no proscenium.com was something that no one owned and no one had the Twitter and no one had the Tumblr. <laughs> we have the Tumblr. We don't use it um, yet. Um, so I was like, all right. $10 and a couple of email addresses later. And I'm like, we're going to do a newsletter That's and awesome. it'll just be a listing. And maybe it'll be once a month. I hope it can be twice a month if there's enough volume. And for the first couple of months, it looked like there wasn't enough volume, but lo and behold, mm -hmm. things picked up. I kept finding things. Um, people tell me about stuff on occasion. I still usually more often than not, I'll discover something by like sitting down with someone and they go, Oh, did you hear a blank blank? And I was like, no, because this work is so broad right. that if you sit there on, say, brown paper tickets and you plug in the word immersive or you plug in the word interactive or you plug in the word participatory or you plug in the term site-specific, you won't necessarily turn up everything that's happening. Right. I do that every other week. <laughs> that's my exact process in a couple of other sites. Um, and even then, usually I find out because someone in the community tells me. So every issue I beg everyone, please, please tell me if you know of a show that's going on. And every time no one does. And then once in a while someone does, usually right after an issue comes out, oh, what? I didn't see this was in there. It's like, that's because I'm not omnipotent um, or omniscient. If I was omnipotent, the world would be very different anyway. Um, but um, yeah. And, you know, is there is there a longer frame ul ulterior motive like do i want to make this sort of stuff yeah mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. i mean part of the itch that the the really immersive interactive interactive stuff scratches is you feel like, and then she fell in particular you feel like you're not just seeing something but you're in yes. a scene yes i miss that yeah intensely um you get that a little bit with what the speakeasy society does, um, particularly in their more intimate pieces, even if you're even if you're just the the object there to absorb a character's monologue, you're still. I'd say you're the thou, mm. right? Mm -hmm. There's this the and thou relationship you you can have in like a religious sense or or an actor audience member sense, and so you become the the target. So, and and then. My day job is all about tech and entertainment, and VR started taking off. And I saw a clear relationship between the stuff that was being done in virtual reality cinema 
and the material I would see at site-specific shows and at immersive shows. Um, and indeed, people at this point have uh, approached me to try and help them find site-specific companies to adapt works into VR. Mm. Um, because this is... And, and when I saw that those things could come together, I started to see this potential for the theater talent that I appreciate and I love and I want to see do well be able to make a living both maybe doing theater but also in this new medium mm -hmm. and the potential for directors and actors who are theatrically trained to step in and, and I feel like claim their birthright in VR cinema because it's even the people who are directing it who work at effects houses. I've heard fall out of the mouths of directors whose job is to make VFX mm -hmm. and they're the ones who are experimenting with the VR cinema and they say this is a lot more like directing theater than it is like directing film. Mm. And so I don't see why the theater people shouldn't be the ones standing up and having the conversations and doing the work because it really does come down to that. We were talking about like the style of acting that kind of like that razor's edge between cinema and theater, mm -hmm. the VR. I mean, when it's, when the VR is, is physically done right and it's, it's video, you're just in a different room. Mm. You're just in a different, you're, you're seated because of the limitations of the, of the, the cameras right now, but you're in a room with live actors and the Z axis of the space, they're moving around and you can turn around and you can see that they're behind you and they could be doing something behind you and the way sound is used. And like, that's just fundamentally different from I'm projecting a two right. or 3d image in depth in front of you. And that's all right. you got to worry about and maybe play with the sound right. to heighten, but the person can't turn their head and how do actors, you know, relate to each other when you've got someone in a different physical relation, you know, all those issues. Right. And none of them are, some of them are solved, but there are more and more of these puzzles. And I just feel that that theater people, mm -hmm. and you know, of course I'm biased. I have a theater degree, which is the most useless thing in the world, <laughs> right? You know, like I feel like there's there's a a tradition of work that you can trace through Grotowski and farther back. Absolutely that speaks to the exact creative problems that the next technological thing is going to face. And it isn't the goal, the goal isn't so that that technological stuff becomes like the thing and like replaces theater. Mm -mm 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 -mm. Mm -hmm. But there's a virtuous circle that can be developed and there's a har harmonious relationship between these two forms mm -hmm. um, that in my wildest fantasies uh, helps, and this is going to sound naive, helps America have a, a theater that's not definitively its own, but that's alive and that's vibrant and that speaks to younger generations mm -hmm. and provides something right. that no screen can. Right. Well, and going back to, there are a couple questions that I'm like, you'll 
audience, you'll have to forgive me. I have two very young children, so I'm horribly sleep deprived. Sometimes <laughs> my brain catches up a few minutes later, but I'm realizing like two questions I didn't answer quite thoroughly. But about like where the inspiration came from for site specific or immersive experiences, and like you know, I started to talk about it, but like where's the year going? But it's like people are still willing to spend money on very dramatic theatrical events whether it's a sporting event or Coachella you know what I mean it's yeah. so dramatic to like go immerse yourself yeah. in the desert with yeah. <laughs> all these other people <laughs> you know and vigorously like, nodding my head <laughs> and it's like well what is that it's it's that feeling that you don't get from just having you know a, like the 2D experience you know here mm-hmm. um, but it's that I'm sharing, I'm in communion with my fellow man, with this person who's, you know, providing this experience for me, yeah. with this person I'm getting this experience with, yeah. you know, and then at the same time, when I lived in New York, I went to this place called Dixon Place to see a show, I don't know if it's still around, um, but the show started with um, folks toasting, and it was a 21 and older um, Yeah. Uh, event but everyone uh they handed out little tiny um glasses of vodka to everyone and had a collective toast before we started the show and it just sent like this huge light bulb lit (laughs) yeah of like oh my god when when does the theatrical experience begin you know and so it's something that i've been fascinated with answering that question no matter what they you know whether it's yeah. a traditional venue or you yeah. know this immersive venue when does that theatrical experience start it can start with the ticket yeah it can start with like how the ticket is acquired yeah. that's those alternate reality games they are very theatrical right and it, but it's yeah. requiring that person who's buying the ticket to be in collusion with or be a participant in yes. that experience and that is the relationship that I'm really particularly interested in. I don't know that we, you know, we're still like mostly a volunteer company, you know, and hopefully we'll grow. Um, We're not so successful at it yet, you know, but that's definitely where we want to be moving towards. Where can we, you know, what can we do? How can the audience, how else can the audience participate? Yeah. Well, I mean, there, there are these, there's a legendary event in New York that happened where and it was it wasn't necessarily theatrical, but oh, what was it? I can't remember the it had a beautiful name and I'm forgetting it, but the basic idea was they built a speakeasy in a water tower and it was like totally <laughs> illegal and your ticket was um, I think it was like a pocket watch uh-huh. and it got handed off to you. And it's like that's how you 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 got in. And just things like that where um, and like the speakeasy society, they do this thing where if if you you can have an experience at one show and you're given a token and mm-hmm. that token, which could be like, maybe it's an iron key or maybe it's like, you know, uh, the, the one I have right now is a, it's a uh, bullet casing. Um, you bring that with you and you find the person that it's appropriate to give. If you can figure out that little miniature puzzle, then you unlock another experience and then it leads you to the next one and the next one and, and or like in sleep no more where there's like the one-on-ones and and this idea of i mean i have this I, some of the stuff you're touching on touches on some rants i have one of my rants was always about particularly about film which is the idea that you know people like to argue about oh who's got final cut mm-hmm. and i always say like 
oh, that's like a production issue that comes up. Like, will the director have final cut? Will the studio have final cut? And I'm always like, no, 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 no. The person watching the movie has final cut because it's the assemblage that goes on in their head mm -hmm. that ultimately matters. Yeah. It's what they remember when they leave. What you're setting up for someone in any kind of narrative experience or even any kind of of poetic experience, like for lack of a better term, like maybe you're eschewing narrative and you're just trying to play with themes and letting people explore, is you're, you're offering up the potential for someone to consider something from a point of view. Mm -hmm. You're giving them strong images, strong emotions, maybe strong narrative lines that illustrate those feelings, that illustrate those ideas. And then they're going to go and they're sit with that. And maybe maybe it connects with them. Maybe there's something in their experience. Or maybe it won't work at all. You talked about uh, wanting to see theater that was like a, the way Pixar films are. And that they work for the children on one level and for the parents on, up, on another level. I feel like the reason why that they make so much money and the reason why we, we, we all love them so much, give or take, is that that is what art does at its best is it, it it doesn't necessarily have to offer something for everybody but if nothing else it, it creates a couple of doorways in and you can come back i was just thinking about this the other day of like that i should really watch monty python because i think i like what well i mean holy grail and life of brian i watched at the right time but like flying circus i tried to watch when i was eight and aside from confuse a cat i just didn't get it i thought confuse a cat was brilliant and i it's I have not been eight years old for a very long time, and I can very consciously remember like that sketch. Also, there's just something funny about watching a cat be nonplussed. I mean, it's just the best thing in the world. I was just laughing at it. Oh, that's what I was thinking about it. I saw a video like that yesterday. Anyway, the point is, um, I felt like I should go back and rewatch Flying Circus because I'd probably get it now. An eight-year-old <laughs> yeah. is not going to get Monty Python's yeah. Flying yeah. Circus. Maybe, you know, Monty Python and the Holy Grail because it's silly enough. And then definitely Life of Brian when you're a teenager because you're angsty enough. But um, but yeah, like it's it's um, you know not everything is for everybody. But when you're able to give more uh, in the transmedia and the ARG world, they call them rabbit holes. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're able to build some some different rabbit holes for different people, different hooks. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's that's not something that should be you know some people look down on that like eh, whatever, which isn't to say that things that are you know very specifically you know for like oh you must be initiated you've got to get all these things. I just I wish the the other the other side of it was true or if someone approaches something and it's like and it's very standoffish and very obtuse that people didn't then like judge it as like somehow being bad. It's just like well maybe you don't get the references and, and that's okay too. Right. Right. Um, but, but there's something about this embodied, um, you know, site specific immersive theater. There's this relationship that's created between the performers and the audience and the space that, um, it, it can't help but be, its own kind of doorway, mm -hmm. its own rabbit hole, mm -hmm. um, because it's so very human. Yeah, it's just so fun. Yeah, <laughs> when it comes down to it. Yeah, 
you know, like that's the other thing. It's like, why, you know, for me, like thinking about like, why are fewer and fewer young people going to the theater, but they're going to theatrical events? Yeah. What is, you know, what's the difference? What's the click? What's like something feels like it's good for you and something right. just feels fun. Right. So how do you meld you know, fun back into the thing that you think is good for you. Well, I, I think because I think so much of it is like it's for me. It comes down to like the presentational. It's like I go to theater, like oh, you're going to present something, you're going to illustrate something for me, as opposed to the farther in you know the, the starting with site specific and moving forward. Mm-hmm. This continuum says you're going to have an experience, right? Like the the part of your company that goes to different places, like well, I've never been here before. Right. I certainly haven't seen a show here before. <laughs> like this is fundamentally different right. from anything I've done. Even, you know, and like say the, the Eighth and Hope Flash Festival, right? So like some of those pieces felt more, you know, theatrical mm-hmm. and like there's a clear line. Sometimes there's like literally tape. It's like you're here, they're there, yeah. don't go. Um, that proscenium was, you know, created it created a natural proscenium in a way. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking there's one that was like a police detective thing mm-hmm. there's actual like police mm-hmm. tape, right? So like, and then there's other ones where it's like, well, we're not being acknowledged at all, but like the action is taking place all around us. But the, the whole meta context was you're going to run around this condominium complex downtown and you're going to get to run around the model homes and all these things. And you just wouldn't be able to do this otherwise. Yeah. There's no scenario where you get to do this in your day-to-day life. It becomes an experience Absolutely. because of that. Absolutely. Um, and that, that heightens at all and it it creates you know this magical and enchants the space mm-hmm. and it's just and, and that in and of itself is fun yeah that in and of itself i mean not that everyone i don't expect everyone to be into that sort of stuff right right i wonder what's wrong with them when they're not but like you know <laughs> no, we've definitely gotten folks who are like uh i didn't like this uh, we've written comments i didn't like the staging because i had to keep moving my head around to follow the and i didn't like and it hurt my neck. <laughs> do, you, do you ask people how old they are when they do that? <laughs> I mean, I get, I, I admit, like, the one thing I am more than anything, I am ageist. You know, like, and it goes back to, like, those, like, the Danny Hawk thing where it's like, it's something with blue hairs in here, you know, and just like, and sitting in theaters. And, like, and I, one of the reasons why I, I walked away was, was like, I, I don't know if I want to be performing for retirees for my entire life. It would, it would just make me sad. Mm-hmm. It made me fundamentally sad. The idea of, like, we're trying to, you know, theater at its best tries to ask these questions and 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 bring people in a room to commune together and ruminate on something or to feel something or or a catharsis, right? right. You know, like it's it's not just one thing, but it's that sense of we're going to bring everybody together. And when it's just like we're going to bring everybody over the age of forty five together, it just doesn't have the same punch. I mean, right. I it won't be that long before I'm over the age of 45, but even then, like I'm just ugh. I don't like, you know, I don't yeah. like being the youngest person in the room. I've <laughs> never liked being the youngest person in the room. I was often the youngest person in the room, but oh man. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I mean, we're still trying to figure it out. People have asked us, "How do you do it? That your audience is so diverse that comes to see your shows, you know?" Like, yeah. Um we don't really know. We're hoping that that's the case. I don't think we have a, you know, uh, this is what we do to attract this type of person, yeah. you know, or anything like that. Yeah. It's just, this is the kind of audience I guess we're attracting. I mean, some of it's always like the network effect. I mean, everyone yeah. in LA knows that like, you know, yeah, you, you, people follow their friends and it, it, it right. spires out from there. That's, which is a completely legitimate way to mm-hmm. do things. But I, I 
do know that because of the the choices of space that you're making and and the 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 challenge of the work of like, well, yeah, let's do Fool for Love in a Back House or like no one knows the Clark Library exists even though they should. Right. Uh, those those fundamental differences attract interest without right. a doubt. Right. And I and I also think that like the Flash Festival, you know, is the, the two most exciting things I've seen of you guys has been the Flash Festival because of that sense of exploration and because of the new nature mm-hmm. of it like mm-hmm. this is a new work yeah or these are new works and then and then that deep level of intimacy mm-hmm. that you got in fool for love yeah um because there's just something about being up close like that yeah. that's you you're very aware that you're breathing the same air you know yeah yeah it's physically i mean i also love the fact like you know, terry really hit him like you know like <laughs> may has to hit the guy, Eddie, and, and it wasn't uh, a stage, <laughs> and you know, and you're not on stage, so it's not a stage. So it's like boom, 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 pounding on his chest, and it's like, yeah, that's 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 for reals right there, because um, you can't fake it, right? You know? Right. They did it in a safe way, and they were oh yeah, no, yes, yes. I never, I never thought they were in danger, right? But it it was more, but it was a little more like watching stunt people work than it was like watching you know stage actors do stage right, combat yeah. things, yeah. Exactly. Like, and now I'm going to pull. Oh, yeah, I know what you're doing. I'm going to miss you by a country mile. It's like, yeah, okay. Um, all right, any, anything else you were... Well, and um, so what about your... About making theater? Oh, God, no. I mean, like... <laughs> uh, look, everyone knows that I... Despite the fact that I don't think of myself as a talker, cue laughter from all my friends who are listening everyone knows I've got the gift of gab but one of the things I learned really early on was like I I try not to put stuff out there unless I know that it's getting a little closer um my the my the thing I'm artistically most interested in as someone who like hasn't created something that other people have seen for a very long time is I'm really interested in and this is something I should have said Reuters talked to me the other day because they wanted like an expert on immersive theater, and I was like, "Please don't call me an expert on immersive theater." Like, I'm I'm just trying to piece this together myself. Uh, but they were really trying to get me to answer like, "What was like artistically the next big thing?" And they wanted me to say like, "Well, these things that are going to New York, which I haven't seen, are the next big thing." And and I, I zeroed in on like the intimacy and like the one on ones as being like a, a big thing. But I think beyond that, and the thing that I later on afterwards like, oh, I wish I had said this. And the thing that interests me is perspective. And it's this this idea, and, and some of this comes from like my interest in, in virtual reality and, and how you can quite literally put someone in the protagonist's perspective. But I also realize that you could, you could do some of that, it gets back to that the and thou. The idea of the audience member becomes, maybe is like the object of the, of the character. Mm-hmm. I started to think like, well, if I'm working with some... I was thinking about a particular uh, body of material, some of which has a relationship to uh, you know, kind of classical romances and like romance stories or, or legends and these love story things. So I was like, what if maybe, and I do want to play around with this, what if like the, the beloved that was addressed was the audience member? It's like you, mm-hmm. you who have this and like, you know, and it's not just, and, and that can make some people profoundly uncomfortable, right? And like, and I, and I grok that. And, and a lot of the conversations we used to have around the table was about like, well, you know, you don't want to, some people really feel like, you know, you, you, 
you don't want, you never want to force the audience to, into like a certain you know, pathway of things or you don't want to confront them or like some things might be like too traumatic. And, and yet at the same time, you know, and something that would be too traumatic for me, there's like the horror subgenre of this stuff, which was, which is called subgenre, but it's actually the largest commercial genre of immersive entertainment is the haunted house scene in Los Angeles and all the persistent haunted, you know, like scare stuff. And in that one, you know, you're all but torturing people psychologically. No, not even all, but you are torturing people psychologically uh, and not physically. And, 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 and I'm wondering if you could like have, instead of, of that, have this something that where it's like, okay, well, like you're, you're being, you're being exposed to either being endowed with something by another person and how does that make you feel or you're getting to see a world through uh, a character's eyes because the, the characters are treating you like mm -hmm. the other, that, that, that othering experience mm -hmm. uh, that you got when you went to New York. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like this is what immersive in the big broad sense of immersive whether it's film or, or cinema or theater, um, the idea that we can put you in a character's shoes the way that you can in a novel, or if you fall deep enough into a novel, you understand that character's perspective and their point of view, and you start to empathize in a very large way. Okay, what if we could physically embody that? Or what if we could virtually embody that? Um, and maybe, and odds are, I'm not the person to do that stuff. But it's the question that I am most interested in is can you, can you take someone who has no clue what it's like to be um, a, a refugee from an environmental disaster and give them that experience or no clue what it's like to be a 14-year-old uh, gay kid in a very judgmental and hostile society and give them that experience or just give them a little bit of insight. Um, I, I, I want to see people playing with that. And it, maybe it comes down to much like I wanted to see the newsletter. And I was like, oh, no one's doing it. I guess, and you know, I'm, I don't, I'm not that person, right? You know, like, I am so not that person. Like, there are definitely things that, like, I can bring that are unique to my own, you know, um, personal life experience, things that involve, like, you know, my family's history and, and you know, and, and the, the traumas that, I, you know, I've experienced as an individual over the years. Uh, don't cry for me or anything, everybody. Uh, but, you know, because everyone has something like that, right? You know, um, but, you know, like, I know me. I'm not as interested in, in I don't I don't want to like stick people in my shoes like like I want to I want to get in other people's shoes and I want other people to kind of find that that way that's so generic I feel like <laughs> it's just it's not really anchored in anything but um and you know there's other like all that I I love myth and legend and, mm -hmm. and some things so there's some things where there's some stage pictures in my head and there's some material that I've always wanted to work with that I'd love to play with but I, I'm scared of saying it out loud because it'll never happen. <laughs> That's the curse. Sounds like you want to do it all. Uh, which is a problem because you can't do it all. <laughs> right. Right? You know, you, 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 you can't do it all. So you have to start deciding, well, what are the things that can be done? And what are the things that you just kind of hope someone else 
picks up and runs with. Well, what would you, if tomorrow you were handed a project, what would you want to do first and foremost? Act, direct, produce? If tomorrow, if yeah. tomorrow someone handed me the resources for yeah. the answer this week is <laughs> um, or this minute is well the, the answer is is direct produce um, something out of like the one of the legend cycles you know um, because that's something I've wanted to do for twenty years and so you know if I only got, if only I had one show in me it would be that you know mm. it's like okay well I did that. Um, next week, the answer might be act because I, you know, I miss it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because I derive, you know, emotional sustenance from it. Um, if, if you aren't acting and you have the acting bug, you, you go a little crazy, you know, you gotta do it once in a while. And it's been like, been like three and a half years since I was even like in an improv class. Um, you know, you start to act out in your real life. <laughs> it's got to get out some way. Uh, you, yeah, but um, so yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us today. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, and I'll, 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 put, I'll put this one out there. I think this also. I was thinking about doing a, a sort of a primer on on how this came to be. So might as well. This will be the. This will be its own episode. Be so, great. All right. And if you want to find me uh, <laughs> online, you uh, you probably already know how to do that. So, and for everyone who didn't want to listen to this episode, why are you listening to this part of it? It's like, <laughs> this is like a half hour later, man. All right. Um, that's that's good. This is also a function of the fact like we, we haven't ever sat down and talked before. Yeah, so, no, absolutely. But yeah. All right. It's good to make new friends. It is good to make new friends. All right. Well, another note. <laughs> Hey, uh, once again, major thanks to Jennifer Chang for being the host of this episode. And uh, you can find uh, Diet of Worms in Los Angeles right now. That's the show Jennifer directed. Uh, I'm going to see it this weekend. I know last time I see it, I was going to see it last weekend. Uh, Accidents do happen. Uh, But I'm really looking forward to seeing the show. You can find Chalk Rep at Chalk Rep. On Twitter, you can find them on Facebook. Uh, you can find them on the internet. Just look for Chalk Rep. You can find No Persinium the following ways. All right, get a notebook. Here we go. On Twitter, it's at No Persinium. Uh, on Facebook, look for No Persinium. At Patreon, where you can go to support this here podcast, it is patreon.com slash No Persinium. At Medium, where we collect essays and reviews it's medium.com slash no dash proscenium that's no dash proscenium i've forgotten the dash every time i've talked about it so far i apologize for that uh it's it's rather silly uh i even understand why that happens now Uh, that's not here nor there um look for us online in those spots Please, if you are doing an immersive show, if you're doing an interactive piece, a site-specific, anything along that, if you have a friend who's doing that, tell us about it. Drop us a line via email on any of these social media platforms because this newsletter that we do and, and this podcast, it, it's really only as good as, uh, as you guys can help us make it be. Um, it, it's just me, it's Zay. Uh, we're doing what we can, uh, but we only have two sets of eyes and four sets of ears amongst us. Uh, It's a funny story about how we have that many ears, but that's neither here nor there. 
We're going to be back next week, early in the week, with the piece that Zay is bringing us from New York. I'll be doing the top and the tail of the show, uh, but it's uh, Zay's platform. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll have something fun from E3 uh, that's going to focus a little bit about uh, that crossover VR space that I've been talking about. Um, if you guys want me to not do that, uh, tell me ahead of time. If you're like, no, 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 I don't want to hear about VR. All we hear about is VR. Um, then, you know, let me know. But uh, like I've, you know, I'm not, I'm, you know, I've said my piece on that, so I'm not going to go any farther there. Um, thank you for putting up with this episode. Uh, I hope it was interesting and informative for you. And uh, I would love to hear back from you. If you back the Patreon, uh, you can contact me there. Uh, if you don't, Facebook, Twitter, any of that stuff. Um, until next time, I'm Noah Nelson, and I'll see you at the show.